Welcome to episode 9 of Retrospection, a podcast about film or TV from the past. My name's Colin, and I'm in New York. And I'm Paul, and I'm not. So you're going to do that same joke again? I am, I'm going to keep doing it. Because they were different for a few weeks in a row, and now you're stuck. Can't think of something new. Forget what I paid for. Exactly. (laughs) You didn't pay for much. (laughs) (laughs) In this episode, we're going to take a look at Condom Man from 1981. I thought you said Condom Man. I thought, did I watch the wrong movie? (laughs) Condom Man. (laughs) Another spectacular film from Walt Disney. Two in a row. I meant this came out the year after Black Hole, didn't it? Right, so they had two flops in a row. <laughs> two unexpected flops, apparently, as well. Yeah, that's true, because Condor Man did poly at the box office, but like many of other Disney films, it's kind of developed a cult following since then. Yeah, I used to be a part of that cult. You see, I said used to be. Interesting. Yeah. So Condor Man is loosely based on a book by Robert Sheckley called The Game of X. Have you ever read this book? I didn't even know it was based on a book. I I'd never really paid much attention to the credits until this viewing, to be oh, yeah. honest. I've so. just acquired the book, so um, oh. I will read it at some point. And also Robert Sheckley wrote the novelization of the film, which I used to have as a kid. Really? Yes. How was that? Being a kid, I have in the book. <laughs> Both of them pretty good, actually. I was going to say being a kid and having the book. How was that? Um, perfect combination. That's all you can ask for. Yep. So Condor Man has been released on DVD around the world, but still doesn't have a Blu-ray release. Like a lot of Walt Disney's live-action films, including The Black Hole, which we talked about a couple of podcasts ago. <laughs> yes, we did. Condor Man does have a comic book sequel, though. Really? I didn't know that. Yes, and the film itself was turned into a comic book. When was the comic book sequel, then? Shortly after the film's release. Oh, uh, that's probably why I didn't know about it, then. Yeah. And, of course, now that Disney and Marvel are one, there is talk of a reboot of Condor Man, and that there was actually talk of trying to bring Condor Man into the Marvel Universe. Is that, is that true? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not overly thrilled with that idea, but I suppose the one saving grace is that Michael Crawford would be too old. Oh, never say never. Again. So the story of Condor Man is that Woodrow Woody Wilkins is a comic book illustrator who believes in realism with his creations. So he builds, for example, the flying suit that Condor Man uses and tries to fly. However, when Woody is asked by CIA friends to do a simple task, Woody is mistaken for a top CIA agent codenamed Condor Man. The film stars Michael Crawford as Woody Wilkins, Condor Man, Oliver Reed as Krakow, Barbara Carrera as Natalia, James Hampton as Harry Oslo, Jean-Pierre Colfon as Morovich, and Dana Elkar as Russ Devlin. I bow down to your pronunciations, though. They were very good. Thank you. Yeah. It's directed by Charles Jarrett. Jarrett? I don't know. He's a Works TV... for me. Yeah. Works for me. He's a TV director who did a lot of Disney-related work. Did he go back to TV after this movie? Yes. <laughs> Much like the Black Hole guy. Yes. Uh. The screenplay was by Robert Sheckley, again, the book's author, and also Mark Sturdivant, who wrote this and one episode of Beretta. Wow. Yeah. But he did go on to be an assistant director of Frasier for 130 episodes, so I think he's doing okay. He got a day job, is what you're saying? Yes, like we all do. <laughs> we can't argue that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go straight into the film then. Absolutely. 
which begins with a giant gold logo lowered with an animation of Condor mm-hmm. Man, who's then flattened by his own logo. The opening is very similar to Pink Panther films. It's, it's not the first thing that's going to be similar to. Uh, well, it's not the it's not the last thing that's going to be similar to a Pink Panther movie in this in this, is it really? No, um, from the beginning, not only do we have this introduction, but also the music is by Henry Mancini. And it's a great theme tune. I like the theme oh, tune. It's, yeah, 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 it's really good. And, and this animated sequence, this, this credit sequence, I couldn't help thinking that I was really enjoying this. And then it ended. <laughs> <laughs> and it ends with Woody halfway up the Eiffel Tower, mm-hmm. addressed as his comic book creation, Condor Man. And what do you think of the suit? Would you like me to be honest? No, I want you to lie. This is all about lying. Yeah, you're honest. That's what the point of this is. Okay. Um, I was going to say, it looks like something that someone's just cobbled together themselves, but I suppose he has, in a way. That's, the character. Yeah, that's the point. Totally, yes. Explain later when he gets a, a so-called real one, which also looks like it's been cobbled together by somebody that did it themselves. But Well, he keeps the same design. Yeah. They're not going to build him a new one. By that point, the CIA is going to want to save some money. Well, there's a problem with that whole thing about the CIA building all this stuff, but, you know. Well, let's get to that. <laughs> yeah. So Woody's halfway up the Eiffel Tower, and Harry, his friend, is down below, and Harry's the one that photographs Woody for his drawings. And Woody starts giving a speech, which is strange, because he's halfway up the Eiffel Tower and nobody can hear him. And his accent really threw me as well. I'd forgotten that he did an accent for this movie. Occasionally. Yeah, did you notice that a lot of his, or most of the lines from, from a lot of the people in this movie are ADR'd? It, it's, yeah. it's all dubbed later. But I did read in an American review where they said they didn't know he wasn't American until years later. And I thought, well, that's strange because he sounds like Frank Spencer. He really does. Yeah, he really we, does. Which it's only fine. British people are really going to get that because I'm I suppose not sure. we, should, we should explain what Frank Spencer is, really. Yeah, so Michael Crawford was most famous for a comedy series, quite long-running, if I remember rightly, called Some Mothers Do Have Them, in which he played an inept, I don't know, clumsy... He was an inept dad, wasn't he? Yes, yes. He was always getting into mischief. And it was famous because Michael Crawford did his own stunts in the series. Mm -hmm. So occasionally his accent disappears and he sounds like the character from that comedy series, which kind of ruins it for me. It takes me out of the film. He even does at times the little sighs that he did as Frank Spencer. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the weird thing was I didn't really think about any of this years ago when I, you know, when I used to watch this movie. Right. I should say that, I mean, I saw this movie as a kid and I really, really enjoyed it and loved it. And Oh, I loved this film as a kid. Yeah. The book, everything. But the Frank Spencer thing didn't really occur to me as a kid. But, I mean, I was aware that it was the same guy, but it, it, wasn't, it didn't matter to me. Right. Maybe we just went into that show that much. Because I never really watched it. At, I mean, I don't remember sitting down and watching it. But it was massive. It was all around us, wasn't oh, it, yeah. when we were kids? Yes, yeah. So now Woody unfolds his wings and leaps from the Eiffel Tower, and he gracefully flies. I'm not <laughs> sure of the physics of this. Well, he's hardly, he's hardly flapping his wings, yet staying afloat. But there are large crane wires visible really i didn't see oh, those you didn't look you're the you're the crane wire detective exactly apparently. you gave me such a hard time over the wires in the black hole that i thought i'll just no i'll i'll refuse to see these ones <laughs> i don't, I don't want to offend you twice you know 
And as he's flying over the Seine, his wing snaps and he crashes down into the river. And he almost drowned, apparently, doing this, didn't he? He did, yeah. Because, again, he does his own stunts. He's nothing if not a trooper. That's right. He's nothing <laughs> but a trooper. So then we cut to Woody back at his studio. And I should point out that all the transition shots in this film are very comic book. And I like, I like the transition. Yeah, they're good. Okay, so you like the spirals mm-hmm. and the stars, and however they do it. It reminded me a little bit of 60s Batman. Yeah, it is like that, yeah. Yeah. Back at his studio, Woody is bemoaning the fact that his wings didn't work because they should have done. Um, and I made a note to hear that Crawford's American accent floats in and out better than Condor Man's flying skills. <laughs> it's very true, yeah. Um, it wasn't the fact that his accent kept floating in and out that bothered me. It was just the fact that he was doing one. It just felt wrong. There's no real reason for it. Why couldn't he be I mean, English? I mean, there is that line, isn't it, where something about uh, being an American is, is fantastic or something, rather. I don't know. Maybe it's because it was the only way they thought he could be working for the CIA, is that if he's an American. Yeah, exactly. Why would he be, why would he be British and working for the CIA? Mm-hmm. So what he talks about why he builds the equipment and does these stunts, he says because the children, region, region, re, children reading his comics would know if he faked it, which is ironic from a man with a fake American accent. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure as to his, why he has to prove that it all works to himself. But do you know this this storyline's in another film. Go on. How to murder your wife? Oh right, I've never seen that. I don't it's think. Jack Lemon and Terry Thomas. Oh yes, I have seen that. Yes, and he's a comic book writer who's sick of writing the character, so he murders his wife in the comic book, and then his real wife disappears. Oh right, yeah. And mm-hmm. he he always acts out and gets people to pose so that he can draw them for the comic book because everything's supposed to be realistic. It's a similar setup. So are you saying that maybe they appropriated that plot? Is that what you're saying? No, no, I'm just drawing connections, you know, mm-hmm. threads of the cinematic universe unraveling before your very eyes. Wow. <laughs> Wait till we get to the Knight Rider co- uh, connection. <laughs> oh, no. I haven't got one. I'm just... <laughs> oh, thank goodness for that. Hear that sigh of relief <laughs> from everybody? From everybody, yeah. So at this point it's revealed that Harry... Woody's friend works for the CIA, but really Harry is just a file clerk. But Woody romanticizes that Harry is a secret agent doing all these daring do's and out there solving crimes. Harry heads to the American embassy in Paris, and he's told that there's an unimportant exchange taking place with Russians, but it has to be a civilian. And Harry's told he has to find the person. And he's told this by his boss. 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 <laughs> he's told- he's boss. <laughs> his boss. His boss. Number twenty, number twenty-seven. <laughs> Harry's told this by his boss, Ross. And Harry panics and decides to call Woody and ask him to do it, as as you would. Yeah, yeah, but well, he's his only friend. He doesn't know anybody else in Paris. But he's uh, they let him do it. Yeah, because it's just they, a simple, you know, paper exchange. It's, is that what they do then? Yeah, Secret Service organizations. They just <laughs> like some comic, random time. comic book writer. You yeah, know, oh, you do it if you want. All, it's not random. It's specific. Oh, because right. he's Harry's friend. It's not like Harry went out and just grabbed the nearest comic book writer. Well, yeah, he did. I mean... It... <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the only one there. Right. But do you not think that this is 10 minutes for the film? It squeezes a hell of a lot in 10 minutes. Well, I suppose it'll have to, really, wouldn't, wouldn't it? Why? Because it's only an hour and 20 minutes long? Yeah, so, I mean, they've got to get all the plot out of the way first. Yeah, and they really do a good job. They really <laughs> They get all it. the plot out of the way in the first... Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's efficient. <laughs> 
So Harry meets Woody at a train station and Woody is wearing sunglasses, a hat and a trench coat. He's really playing the spy part, overdoing it completely. Yeah, he's even doing a Bogart impersonation, isn't he? That's right, and Harry wants him to ditch the stuff and takes his hat and just say, hey, blend in with people. And then he handcuffs Woody to the briefcase that contained the documents. Woody Mm -hmm. secretly steals his hat back. Oh, yes, he does, yes. Yeah, yeah, he sneaks it from behind him. Mm -hmm. And they're off to Istanbul. Now, the one thing you have to say about this film, it doesn't cheap out when it comes to locations because it pretty much goes around the world. I mean, it looks like a Bond movie. Yeah. The way it's shot. It looks like a Bond movie. The location stuff actually appears to be in the countries that it's supposed to be setting. Mm Mm-hmm. Seems to be. We don't know for sure. We have no proof for this. But it looks lush, doesn't it? It looks very nice. Yeah. So in Istanbul, Woody enters a hookah bar. A what? Hookah bar. You know, it's a Turkish bar, you know, with the hookah, the smoke that they... Yeah. So he's smoking, looking cool, flips a cigarette into some food, and then stumbles down some stairs, knocking away to carrying flaming kebabs into some people. We learn that Woody is really clumsy. Um, again, very Pink Pantherish. And with the raincoat that he's wearing. Mm-hmm. It's very Frank Spencer. Yeah, I guess it is. And it's very much like Clouseau, right? It is. But I was just wondering how much the filmmakers were aware of the, the Frank Spencer comparison with the raincoat. Do you think that was intentional? I don't know. I wonder if the Pink Panther connection was more upper first in the mind, especially with Mancini doing the music. True, true. And mm. and, it, and it does look like a weird hybrid of a Bond movie and a Clouseau movie. Yeah. So Woody stumbles backwards and trips over a woman's legs and turns out to be his Russian contact, Natalia played by Barbara Carrera. She's kind of playing a nicer version of the role that she plays in Never Say Never Again, isn't she? I think she's playing a comedy version of the role that she would later play in Never Say Never Again. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She says to him, I believe we have something we can give each other. And he says, absolutely. I mean, I'm a man, you're a woman. Boom, boom. I think that's funny. I also think that's a little... You know, strong for a kids' film, but okay. For, yeah, for Disney, but we've obviously we've already established that they're, they're um, going dark. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the, the time where Disney they they given themselves a path and they were going to walk down it no matter what. Right. right. They may have stopped after this movie, though. I think. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> they call in these days they don't studios call it course correcting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but she is, of course, referring to the documents that he's supposed to be handing over. The waiter turns up and he asks for an Istanbul Express and says, make it a double, no, a triple. Another another good gag. I'm not being sarcastic, I mean it. I did actually laugh at that. Oh, some of them I do find funny. Mm. I liked it much more when I was a kid, but now I still mm-hmm. find it funny. Woody says, you're so beautiful for a spy. Natalia is shocked because they're supposed to be civilians. But now Woody is, you know, he's really in character. He slipped into somebody from his comic books and he tells her he's an operative helping a civilian out. And his drink arrives on fire. And he tries to blow it out. It does, and it won't go out. And then he drinks it. And, and then what happens? He breathes fire. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> she asks him his code name. He tells her it's Condor Man, the vulture of the Western world. What can you say to that? Not <laughs> As shut-up lines go, it's pretty good. Now, and then we have a comedy uh, fight scene, don't we? Yeah, Natalia notices that people are watching her. She says she must go. Woody says he'll come over and protect her. And then these men start to fight with Woody, and he panics with his briefcase still handcuffed to his hand. And as he's swinging around, he's actually knocking people out, like Pink Panther film. There's two things I don't like about this. Oh. Would you like me to tell you what they are? No. <laughs> no. All right, let's move on. <laughs> what are these two things? 
Well, the first first thing that that isn't just a, a factor of this scene, but this scene I think showcases it for the rest of the movie is the sound design in this film is terrible. Everything's overplayed. All the sound effects are overplayed. The dialogue's heavily ADR'd to the point where you, it, it doesn't seem real. So it's terrible sound design, I think. Mm. But this whole idea of someone having a comedy fight scene and everyone thinking that that he's actually really really good mm-hmm. at what he's doing but it's all just luck goes all the way back to Bob Hope in things like the pale face. And, and it's, I think at that point it's a trope, isn't it? And it's, 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 it's a bit tired. I can see that. It's nicely choreographed though. I wonder whether he had a hand in that. Cause I mean, he's good at that stuff. Michael yeah. Crawford, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so as you said, he knocks them all out. Natalia thinks he did it on purpose and that he's really good at what he does. And she kisses him, which blows Woody's mind. Yeah. And we go to Moscow. Natalia arrives home. And we meet Oliver Reed. Now, apparently it was a troubled shoot with Oliver Reed, wasn't it? It wasn't every shoot in the late 70s, 80s, a troubled shoot with Oliver Reed. (laughs) He stayed in character for a lot of it, apparently. There's a surprise. He's probably too drunk to leap out of character. Apparently at one point he threw his white tuxedo out of the um, hotel room and it landed in the river. And because the budget was so tight... One of the um, associate producers had to dive into the river to drag it out and have it dry cleaned. We can only be thankful that nobody was wearing it at the time. (laughs) I'm sure the people weren't thankful that he wasn't wearing it at the time. (laughs) He used to do that a lot as well, walk around. Yes, he did. So, of course, as we said, we meet uh, Sergei Krakow, Oliver Reed. It's a great name. Yeah, it is. And Natalia is clearly scared of him. She says they can't trust the Americans. They ended up sending a spy, not a civilian. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's perhaps as good as Sergei. Because he clearly is. Yeah, Oliver Reed is actually really good in this film, I think. You'd never I, know that he was blind, shitless drunk, would you? <laughs> no, but I find Oliver Reed is pretty good in every film he's in, no matter how crap the film is. Oh, he is. Don't you think I was watching this and I thought he would have made a great Bond villain? Yeah, totally. Although he, he was almost Bond at one point, though, as well, wasn't he? That I can't really see. He'd be a scary bomb. Would have been great. Oliver Reed versus Daniel Craig. Oliver Reed every time. Yeah, he'd wipe the floor with him. Yeah, totally. Wipe the floor with him. Yeah, Daniel Craig could be crying. <laughs> Especially if it was arm wrestling in a bar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, Krakow is annoyed that she has jeopardised his position by being seen by a Chinese agent in the cafe. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, back in Paris, Woody is drawing Natalia and decides to put her in his comic books and call her Laser Lady. He's no Stan Lee, is he, when it comes to... (laughs) When it comes to names. (laughs) Back at the embassy in Paris, Harry's boss, Ross, asks him, who is Condor Man? Harry explains that it was just a comic book character. Now, Ross is confused because they have a Russian agent who wants to defect and will only defect to somebody called Condor Man. Mm -hmm. He says to Harry, find out who's been using the codename Condor Man, and Harry realises what's happened. This was the scene where all this was going on in his studio. This was one of the scenes where the whole Frank Spencer comparison seemed really on the nose. He did a lot of weird little sighing and when they try to convince woody to go yeah. and help the russian defector mm-hmm. right it's right. like his fallback position is frank spencer <laughs> yeah i do get the impression that there were times in this movie where he was a little bit lost 
I think. Maybe. Do, do you want, I wonder whether they ADR'd all his dialogue because at the time maybe he didn't do an accent? Or it was so bad, it was so bad live that they had to go and redo it. So Woody says, I'm not a spy, I just want to do it. Harry convinced him it's a chance of a lifetime. The CIA will build anything he wants. This is ridiculous. You're more ridiculous than a man called Condom Man flying off the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you've got limits. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, but when he was doing that at the beginning of the movie, that was all on him. Right. Nobody made that for him, did he? He did it himself. Yes. And now the, the, the CIA and the American government are just going to say, oh, we'll build all your stuff for you that you're going to use later in the movie. And he's got some serious stuff. So this is Woody's chance to bring his comics to life. Now, of course, when Woody realises that the Russian defector, codenamed the Burr, is actually Natalia, he's going to do it. He's going to do what? Do it. I'll oh, do it. Right. Yeah. Okay. You're going to do that every time? Yes, I am. Every time. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> Ross, Ross finally agrees that the CIA will build the equipment. Yes. And now we do. go to Yugoslavia. So now we get a shot of a, an old guy walking around some, some rocks, don't we? We do, yes. But it's not just an old guy, is it? No. It's Woody. Yes, disguised as a shepherd. In his first of many Clouseau-like disguises that, that we get. Yes, movie. that is true. But don't you think this bit goes on a little bit too long? Um, what are they trying to do? I think they're looking for Natalia goes on too long. He could have just found her at the beginning. But this whole shot of him bumbling around the rocks just seems to go on. I assume it's like the audience is supposed to go, oh, who's this old guy? And then you're supposed to go, oh, it's Woody. Because the disguise is so great. Yeah. There's a better one later. So he finds Natalia hiding in a mm-hmm. cave, and she's disguised as a gypsy. And they get accosted by evil Russians. Gunmen? Yes. And we think, uh-oh, they've got the drop on Woody. He's not going to get out of this. But luckily, his cane turns out to be a machine gun, an uncontrollable machine gun. I did I, uh, I, I, I did roll my eyes a little bit. <laughs> you didn't enjoy <laughs> because, the machine no, gun? No, 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 it was funny. It was funny. Right. But then, like a lot of of what happens in this movie, it went on for too long. But you know, if that if the film was made now, that machine gun sequence would have been even longer. Oh, absolutely! And it, it, they'd be shooting them, and you see shots of them getting shot up the ass. And... Because now they they not only did they go too long, they think, well, the longer we go, it gets funny again. Yeah. So so it would yeah, be, yeah. you'd be there. The film would be two hours long, and an hour and a half it would be that gun scene. Yeah, that's true. I, I completely agree with that. But it's still too long. All right. So my next note says he beats the gunman off. But I'm not going to do that one. Are you sure you weren't watching Condom Man again? <laughs> I guess he gets the drop on the gunman. Does he actually shoot? He shoots one and then he hits the other one over the head. Yeah, he doesn't actually kill them, does he? He doesn't really kill anybody in this film, right? Although... Well, I, no, he does later. Yeah, I guess he does. He kills quite a few people later. <laughs> but do we see them die? Well, they explode in balls of flame, so I would imagine that they're not, they're not well. Toasty, that's all. Little toasty. Sunscreen will get that off. <laughs> a, bit of, a bit of sunscreen and walk it off. Yeah, Is that what you're saying? saying. <laughs> After defeating the Russian gunmen, they make their escape in an old gypsy truck. And it's, this is some fantastic blue screen work. But it's one of those, while they're driving, they're not even looking where they're going. Look very TV-ish. 1970s TV-ish, it looked to me. Yeah. You know, you, you look at Doctor Who from the 70s and the, that terrible chroma key blue screen that they used to use. It looked a bit like that. Meanwhile, while they're driving, Natalia explains why she wants to defect and tells Woody who mm-hmm. Krakow is. Woody starts talking about America and how Natalia will love it when she moves there. Obviously, this is pre-Trump. <laughs> Which, should we say that we're recording this on the day that uh, the world has changed? <laughs> I'll just begin the episode with the sound of a flushing toilet. You said that, I didn't. If the secret police come knocking on your door, it's nothing to do with me, all right? <laughs> I want to know who they are, though, because they'll be secret. Boom, boom. I'll be like, who are you? Here all week. They would be, because they wouldn't tell me who they are. 
So now we cut to Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. And Krakow is livid that they got away. He wants Natalia alive, but Condor Man can be killed. Any orders for the Broknoviac? The what? The Broknoviac? Is that what they were called? I couldn't make it out every time they said it. E- evil silver-eyed guy. No, that's the Broknoviac is the unit that he controls. Um, the glass-eyed loon is Morovic. I do remember that this next sequence that's coming up as a kid, I thought this was really, really cool. The market square? Yeah, this whole action sequence that's coming next. We should yeah, say that so they've, all, they've all bought the cars, all these bad guys have bought the cars from Acme Evil Car Incorporated, haven't they? Yeah, they're all Porsche 911s, with black, with tinted windows. Mm-hmm. And we actually cut to a happy market square where people shopping, working, and then they start to hear a rumble in the distance. The sound of agents, they stop. The silence. A baby cries. And then someone yells out, Broknoviach! And then church bells sound and the people panic and run indoors and close their shutters. And then the Broknoviach drive into the square. What do these people do when they're not doing this? <laughs> well, the bad guys. Like, clearly this is something they obviously must drive into this town a lot mm-hmm. because the people know who they are and the people mm-hmm. are scared of them. They just drive in, pack up, hang around for a bit, Talk what, and then what's leave. it like? It must be difficult if they just want to do a bit of shopping. Yeah, maybe they have to take a different car. Possibly, don't take the evil car. Take the ladder. Yeah, take the ladder. Take the escort. Take yeah, take yeah, the yeah. Uh, yeah take like, the saxo. Are, are you one of the Broknovich? No, need no no Broknovich. Why are you wearing a black suit and a helmet? <laughs> I, I I I don't know. I, I it's just my style. Two eggs, please. Now, whoa, hold on a minute. Wow. Hold on a minute. You were giving me shit for accents a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> what was that? That was just me. What was that? Was it? Was that? <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the Broknovich. He's not Russian. He, he's travelled. He, well, he's definitely no. He's definitely not Russian. No, no he's travelled. He's travelled around. There's no. There's nothing in the film that says they're all Russian. They could be from anywhere. If it makes you feel better, all right. In my notes, I wrote this town is shit scared. Oh, well, they are. Yeah. <laughs> so they all hide in the houses, and the Broknoviach pack in different places. And Woody and Natalia start to drive into the town, and Woody's like, "Oh, it's like a storybook town. It's quiet." Mm-hmm. And she's like too quiet yeah because they get ambushed they do and as Woody's driving we see them in the wing mirrors and at this point Mancini's going hell to level with the trumpets mm-hmm. oh the, the music's great yeah yeah, great. yeah. Woody realises there's no way they can outrun these sports cars in his old gypsy truck so he presses a button and they slide down and from underneath the gypsy truck a super futuristic yellow vehicle that sounds like a jet engine with a huge condor painted across the bonnet shoots out from underneath. Now, I couldn't decide whether this was James Bond or Cannonball Run. Go for both. It felt like, it, it felt like James Bond, but it looked like Cannonball Run. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good combination. It is, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they did it themselves in the Cannonball Run movies, didn't they? They got Sean, no, not Sean Connery. Roger Moore. Uh, Roger Moore. They got Roger Moore, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, it's probably not hard, though, is it? Get Roger Moore. As much as I love the guy, he's probably going to do it for whatever. He's like, hmm, cheese? <laughs> why oh, just cheese as his payment of choice <laughs> he looks like a cheese he guy does. is that what you're saying yeah okay yeah. what kind of cheese just just curious just curious to know really Whoa. brie no a bit of blue bit of blue a bit of blue yeah, a bit of blue <laughs> america's listening to this are going to be so clueless <laughs> they know james bond they know roger ma <laughs> bit of blue so, right. so now we get a 
a lot of blue screen work. Oh, yes, there is. There's a lot of blue screen yeah. work. And uh, the sports car, Woody's, I don't know what you want to call it, the Condor car, I guess. I, I thought, yeah, I wrote down Condor Mobile. Condor Mobile, much better. We will, mm. I will go with that. So the Condor Mobile. Fire. Do you want to describe it? Do you want to describe well, it? Well, I kind of did. It's, yeah, it's bright yellow. It's mm-hmm. shaped, it's got a huge fin at the back, like an aeroplane, and it has a giant condor painted on the bonnet. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's it. So it fires a mixture of machine guns and lasers out the back of it. But only in a straight line. They didn't think it through when they put this together, did they? They put the lasers right in the middle of the car. Right. So they shoot out. Right. So all the other vehicles, all they have to do is move to the side of the road. Well, I think they're relying on the speed of the bullets and that the reactions of the drivers, in this case, are exceptional. They didn't think they would be. Until he uses the flamethrower. Yeah, and sets alight some of the cars. I mean, mm-hmm. well, we're, we're careering around those narrow Monte Carlo streets and the hills that we've seen in other films of this nature, mm-hmm. uh, beginning of the time job, for example. And somehow, I don't quite know how one of the Porsches managed to get around the front and heads towards. Yeah, did he get lost? I don't know. Was he? he... <laughs> did he take a wrong turn in somewhere? <laughs> Maybe he's not one of the Brocknovich. Maybe he's just a guy in his sports car out for a drive. <laughs> Some random guy bought the same car, yeah. happened to be at Acme Evil Cars on the same day, and he bought the same car. Him and his girlfriend are driving, going, I don't know why every time we go to a village, the people disappear. <laughs> so he charges him, doesn't he? But then Woody presses a button, and a ramp forms on the front of the car, and the Porsche flies up the ramp and crashes into the office. Why would you build that? We're going to install this thing on your car, right? Okay. Just on the off chance that anyone's ever driving up towards you really, really fast, you go, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to put this ramp that appears from nowhere and the car will leap over the top of you. You'll probably never use it. It'll never, you know, you'll never have call to use it. But just in case, that one instance where it might happen, oh, we're, we're oh, going to give it to you. Did he need it? Yes. <laughs> then it was a perfect choice. But it's that Bond thing, isn't it, of him getting all these gadgets and he will use every single one of them. Well, Bond films are always written backwards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you, you figure out the, what you need to device and then you write it early in the film and put it in. But So, yeah, so he needed a ramp. He got a ramp. Fair enough. Yeah. So he actually defeats all of the Brokhnoviach, at least the car people, because we see some more later on. I don't know. They seem to be able to get new people from nowhere, except for Morovich. Who gives chase? Because as they say in the in the movie, or I think it's uh, is it Natalia that says it? He's a homicidal maniac. Right. Yes, Natalia does say that. So mm-hmm. Woody tries to escape from Morovich, drives down a pier towards water. The sides inflate of the Condor mobile, and his car jumps and leaps into the water and sails away like a hydrofoil. And he looks so angry, doesn't he? Crack off. Um, oh, you mean no, Morovich, Morovich looks angry? Yes. Yeah, but then we we cut to crack off Oliver Reed, and he's very angry. Oh yeah, he's going ah, oh, he's really bad out of hell, crazy. He's really the best thing in this. Oh, yes, he really he is. is. And Marovic yeah. asks for one more chance. So Krakow says, according to his calculations, Woody and Natalia are heading towards the north coast of Italy. I don't know where he gets. I mean, they went straight off one end, so of course they're going to go straight to the other side. I don't know. And then he's, he says, they're going to land here. And he just widely hits a map with a whip. And he, but before he hits the map, he's slapping himself in the face with it. Yes. And I remembered this from a kid, uh, from being a kid. I always thought that was quite funny. It is funny. 
Now, I bet you that that wasn't. I bet you that was a, a, a choice that Oliver Reed made on on the in the moment. I'm, sure, well, yeah, but I'm pretty sure he didn't say in the script. Cracker hits himself <laughs> repeatedly with whip in the face. <laughs> that's why you get Oliver Reed in these films, though, isn't it? Is you don't know what you're going to get. No, that's true. <laughs> Well, we've now cut to Italy and Woody is dragging Natalia up a hill and they find an old stone farm shed. Woody says he'll look for a telephone in the morning, call Harry and they'll be home in no time. But he doesn't know. The police know where they are. But they have they have a sleep, though, don't they? But this, I, I couldn't help but think that if this was a Bond movie, they'd be having a bit of sexy time now, wouldn't they? Yeah, but you wouldn't see the sexy time. He would say, you know... What are we? She'd say, "What are we going to do now?" And he'd say, "Oh, I'll keep the British end up or something," and that would be that. I'm going to slip into something more comfortable. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. I don't know. Well, not really, because there's no change of clothes. It doesn't make sense. We're in a farm shed. No, he does change his clothes. But something though, more like witty, like I'm going to fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> the police turn up and they're put under arrest. Woody yes. says, "Oh, you've got the wrong people," and then the copper throws a newspaper towards them when they're in the jail cell, and it's revealed that they are wanted for murder. Clearly, they've been set up. Mm-hmm. The copper says, "Police from Monte Carlo are on the way," but everybody knows that that's going to be Krakow's men. Mm-hmm. There's a savior for them. Yes, because the detective that turns up turns out to be Harry. In another Inspector Clouseau moment. Yes, and they squeeze into a tiny Fiat to make an escape, mm-hmm. but the way is blocked, so they escape from the Fiat, and there's an odd comedy chase between Harry, Woody and Natalia, who are now all handcuffed together, running for Morovich. At one point, they turn to run down an alleyway, and there's a bloke walking up the other way with a ladder, and they stop and run back the other way. Are they scared of the ladder? <laughs> Can they just walk around him? Yeah, because you know you can't run under a ladder. Is that what it is? Bad luck. It is. Yeah. yeah. Ah, no, okay. I mean, things were going so well. <laughs> I didn't want to chance it. In every way possible. Every way. Yeah. <laughs> so they come across a church group and they mingle with the church group and then go into the church they had with the congregation. An evil silver-eyed guy comes in and they they start a fight, don't they, to uh, get away. One of the things is Barbara Carrera is actually pretty good with the comedy timing in this film. Do you know what? It's funny because she's really good in this film, which is surprising because she's not much good in anything else. Um, what else have you seen her? I've seen her. She was in Never Say Never Again. She's not great in no, Nobody's good in that. Um, she was in a lot of Dallas. Oh, okay. She's terrible in that. And that's about it, I think. She, I think she could have done more comedy. Well, maybe this was a hit. Yeah, maybe. Um, so now we, they escape in the confusion. And when we mm-hmm. go back to Krakow, who now knows what Woody is up to because he's discovered that Woody is not a spy, he's just a comic book illustrator, and that everything that Woody is doing is in his comic books, which you think the CIA yeah. would have a problem. Yeah, because he's just literally telling everyone yeah, what he's going to do. and it's not like... I don't get the timing between this. I was thinking that I don't get the time frame because if he's doing stuff... Okay, if he's doing stuff that that's in these comic books already, it's a bit of a coincidence that the exact same scenario right. is playing out. So you kind of get the impression that maybe he wrote these comic books, books, but then he, he must have got them out pretty yeah. quick. He must have done, <laughs> and it takes a long time to draw a comic book and illustrate it and, yeah. do all that, and publish it as well. And not only publish it, but yes, distribute it around the world. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. so Krakow knows where they're going to be, and he knows they're going to the try and cross the Alps. Meanwhile... Harry, Natalia, and Woody find an inn. And Natalia is a little perturbed by all the children looking at her. But Woody just says, oh, it's because it's out of season. Woody takes a nap in the hotel room. Mm -hmm. Natalia goes out on the balcony while Harry takes a shower. And she finds all these kids holding comic books looking up at her. 
So she goes down to see what's going on, and they ask her, are you laser lady? And I did, I, I have to wonder, we're in the Alps. Mm-hmm. Why are all these kids American? There's a big exchange school <laughs> just down the street. A uh, lot, of, lot of international students. <laughs> is that what it is? A lot of comic book they brought them with. They, uh, they brought, that explains why the comic books are there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they don't sell them in the Alps, because why would you sell an English mm-hmm. comic book? If he only created Laser Lady a couple of weeks ago, how is that already out and people are reading it? What's the time frame of this movie? I don't get it. No, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I didn't worry about this when I was a kid. I worry oh, no, about no, it no. now. No, yeah. So she sees the comic book and realizes that the man she's with is not a super secret agent at all. Harry comes out, he realizes what's going on, and he says, oh, come with me and I'll tell you the truth. But she takes it rather well because she's dancing with him in the next scene, so she can't be that bothered. Yeah, she doesn't seem to be. But mm-hmm. then she, when they're alone at dinner, she tells Woody that once... Um, she said she would never love another man of deception, but mm. now she knows that there is deception, and then there's deception. Whatever, as long as I get to, yeah, like, as long as I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I get to laser lady. That's the one, laser the lady. <clears throat> mm-hmm. <laughs> so in the morning, Woody and Natalia are heading for a cable car. Woody is wearing a jumpsuit from the popular British TV show Rainbow. I was thinking Andy Pandy, actually. Andy Pandy, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I've seen Liz Sladen wear that exact same costume in 1970s Doctor Who. Any Who fans out there will know what I'm talking about. It's a weird costume. Mm-hmm. So the plan, and I don't get this plan at all, is to use these jet rods, attach them to the cable car lines, and propel themselves up towards the mountain. Two questions. One... Why are they going up to the top of the mountain? Two, why don't they just take the cable car? Well, that, that was my thing. I, can't, I, I, I don't know why they're going up to the top of the mountain, but my big thing was they got the CIA to sign off on building this equipment. Right. Somebody, surely somebody somewhere would have gone, well, do you really need it? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, no, here's nothing. Somebody had to deliver the equipment. Why couldn't he just pick them up? <laughs> now you're invoking the whole eagle flying uh, the ring into Mordor thing, aren't you? <laughs> He's like, so I've, I've got your jet rods. He's like, oh, can you take us back? Mm, I don't do that. It's not in his job description. You know. Yeah. You have to put in a memo. Somebody has to sign the memo. I mean, nobody wants to do more than what they physically have to when they're at work, do they? That's true. That's true. Yeah. So this guy said, I have to, I'm here to deliver jet rods. I fly across to the Alps, deliver the rods, and then I'm off. I'm off in ten minutes, mate. I'm down the pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Biscuits and then a ski. What? Biscuits? Yeah. Biscuits? <laughs> <laughs> I know. What? He doesn't like biscuits. I, I like the way that we've created this whole backstory for a guy that's not even in the movie. <laughs> yeah, but he likes biscuits. He likes biscuits, does he? Okay. Yes. All right. Not Swiss ones, though, because it's tricky. Even though that, it would be good if he did, because he's in the Alps, well, make it a lot are, easier. Are we talking rich tea or digestives? Hobnobs. Hobnobs, of course. Of course. Milk chocolate. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to go no, Oreo. Not right? dark chocolate. No, he goes, he goes ballistic over dark chocolate hobnobs. Yeah. He says, you take that jet run or shove it right up your ass if you've got a dark chocolate hobnob. Well, let's face it, that would have been a better use for it than what they get in this film, wouldn't it? Yeah, so they climb on these jet rods. Harry has to go with Woody because apparently Harry's skirt of heights. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, Harry hasn't read the comic books because then he would know what was coming and it would save them money on one jet rod. <laughs> and it starts to propel them up the mountain. <laughs> but Morovich is watching with Krakow and Morovich has a sniper rifle. 
and he shoots and knocks Woody and Harry off the jet rods. He doesn't actually shoot Woody and Harry. He makes a much harder shot and knocks the rod off the cable line. He's just showing off. Yeah, I guess so. And he Even makes though, that shot with one eye, remember, as well. That's true. But then when you've got a sniper rifle, aren't you only using one oh, eye? Oh, shut! Don't point out the flaws in what I've just said. <laughs> you do it to me. <laughs> I, I, I knew as soon as I said it, I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, but it's funny because doesn't he got this hatred for Woody and Harry, but not enough to actually kill him at this point? Yeah, but it's a hatred that, that That's really gets love. the better of him. Yeah, okay. oh, is that what it is? Yeah, that's what it is. Are you, are you sure you're watching the same <laughs> yeah. version of this? So Harry and Woody <laughs> land in the snow, and Natalia screams and thinks they're dead, and when she gets to the end of the cable line, Krakow is waiting for her, and a helicopter takes her away, and she looks down below at the comedy outlines of Harry and Woody in the snow. I just looked at my notes and I wrote uh, two mit, uh, pint of milk. And... <laughs> I wrote this is a really nice Ursiel, <laughs> but I think I meant Ariel, as in Ariel shot. Oh, okay. But it came. I wrote it Ursiel. All right. Could be new word. We'll use it every time there's yeah. an Ariel shot. Copyright retrospection. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, just Paul. <laughs> oh, you don't take it. You don't. Oh, I'll take all that sweet credit, yeah, yeah. don't you worry. Go ahead. And everyone's using it in 10 years' time, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they're not dead. No. They're, they're just uh, winded. <laughs> just winded. I don't get what this bit is as well. He lifts it. He lifts. Um, Woody lifts his head up in the snow and says, Oh, I think they've gone. Right. And then you just get a groan from the other guy, and then Woody puts his head back down. No, he, there's a that, line. Is that supposed What's the other line? What he uh, says, I think they're gone, we can get up now. And Harry says, I can never get up again. Oh, that was worth it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It's a funny line. <laughs> and then he groans. Or he groans first. I can't remember which way it happened. Back with Krakow and Natalia, Krakow tells her that he won't kill her. He'll just tell people that a defection was staged. But Morovich will have to be killed so the truth can't escape. Because he needs some meeting with some oil people or something. Yeah, there he? are some important oil shakes visiting his impregnable <laughs> fortress. Oil shakes? Yeah. Are they doing those at McDonald's now, are they? <laughs> Strawberry, banana, oil. Delicious. I bet they're crude. How long have you been working on that? About two seconds. Really? <laughs> are you sure? Is there not a, no- well, you never is there know. Not a notebook somewhere with just the scribbling versions of it? Uh... I don't give away my secrets. All right. So, Krakow holds her an impregnable fortress. That's what he describes it as. But it's just a house. It is just a house, yes. yeah. So, Ross informs Harry and Woody where Natalia is and tells them the mission is off. But Woody's in love and he won't return to Paris without Natalia. He pleads with Harry mm-hmm. to give him two days. Harry agrees. And we're back in Monte Carlo. Now, again, I don't get this. Because what, for what he's got planned and what happens in the, in the, the final third of this movie... He'd need resources, wouldn't he? Yes. Now, if he's been ordered back right. and Harry's giving him two more days yes. off the books, right. how is he getting all this stuff? Well. Here we go. Remember our delivery guy who supplied the jet rods? <laughs> our delivery guy. Already been paid to deliver the other equipment. He's done it. So he's already been paid... Fuck it, I'm going to deliver it. Oh, anyway. no, no, he doesn't get the message not to do it because he, 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 when he left with the jet rods and delivered those and had his biscuits and right. his little bit of skiing, he finished right. his rest of his deliveries, which was the equipment that Woody needs. 
he gets a message later saying the mission's off, but he's like, well, I've already delivered it, so, you know. Too much hassle. Yeah, he's like, what's he going to do? Go back and repackage it and take them back? By that point, he's on his third pint of real ale, so, I mean, he's, he's you know, he's not... And his second packet of biscuits. And his, his second packet? Oh, yeah. Well, this guy's let himself go. Yeah. You know? I mean, what did we say? Hobnobs, did you say? Yes. I mean, I mean, they're very Moorish, aren't they? They are indeed, yeah. yes. But you can't blame him. Don't... Oh, I was so tempted to do a joke about Moorish and architecture, but I can't figure out how to get it in. <laughs> that was why I talked over you, because I, I thought... It's <laughs> <laughs> his brain working overtime, furiously trying to come up with a joke that involves Moorish architecture and hobnobs. <laughs> I thought as fast as you were trying to dig yourself that hole, I was trying to pull you out of it. <laughs> so... Comedy arrows. Well, well, now we've uh, discussed how and why the equipment is there, yeah. and we've solved that problem. Oh. That plot hole has been filled completely. I can't believe I didn't think of it at the time. So now we go back to Monte Carlo, and uh, so an Arab enters the party, because after all, it's all about oil and the Middle East, mm-hmm. and it turns out it's actually Woody disguised as a sheikh. Do you think this is, this is tad racist? No, why? He's a comedy Arab, isn't he? Why is he a comedy Arab? He doesn't do anything that's funny. Well, I'm not going to do what he does. So don't, I'm not, you're not going to catch me out that way. I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, I generally don't remember what he does. What is he doing? Well, he's been a comedy Arab, you know. He's wearing a big. He's wearing the Bedouin clothing. That's the one, yes. Thank you. Yes. And he's, you know, speaking in a funny accent, isn't he? An Arabian accent. And he's a bit tanned. Because it's sunny in Saudi Arabia. If you think it's fine, then I'll, I'll go with you. As long as you think it's fine. As long as it, we're saying that you think it's fine, then that's okay. I'm not saying it's fine or not fine. I'm just wondering what your problem is with it. Well, it just seems a bit off. Okay. Anyway. A bit, a bit 1980s. <laughs> oh, for a film made in 1981. Exactly. That's, that's okay. what I'm getting at, I think. So it's perfectly fitting for the time. That doesn't mean it make it right, but... No, no, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. So they're disguised as shakes. I mean, if they were infiltrating a German fortress in a World War II film and disguised themselves as Nazis, would that be wrong? No, but then it would depend on how they portrayed those Nazis, wouldn't it? I mean, if one of them comes in with a wooden arm and, and a limp... That'd be a hell of a disguise. Talking about, you know, having vase to make you talk. <laughs> Wait, it sounds like it's oh, hello, hello. No, there was no... There was, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was that an actual accent as well you did? Well, uh, it started off as one, and then I kind of, <laughs> I kind of gave up halfway through and thought the better of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where were we? Are we still disguised as shakes, we're, and we still just entered the party? Yeah, we're still we're still shaking. Okay, Woody tells Harry to give him five minutes, then let it go. We don't know what go actually is. Mm-hmm. And there's a nice drink gag. What was that one? Harry looks at his watch and spills his drink on the floor. Oh, yeah. Okay, Woody finds Natalia alone in the garden. And he reveals himself. Now, you worked on that one, didn't you? Didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. And I, I, sometimes I have to, you know, drop the bait in. <laughs> Just to see if you get a bite. Oh, you, you, know, you know. You know what's going to happen. So the shake reveals himself as Woody. <laughs> and tells Natalia to come with him. And Natalia says she cannot go with him. She's changed her mind. And she says... Uh, they know he's a foolish comic book writer and he's not worth a bullet. And uh, Krakow arrives and takes her away. 
But she uses a phrase which we didn't mention earlier, is one that was used near the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. which is, if you bring the dip, I'll bring the Dostoevsky. That's right. So she she says that, and it's he, a clue. Yeah, and he realizes that she doesn't mean what she's just said to him. That she wants to be saved. Yeah, and at that point, an explosion goes off because Harry does it. Woody grabs Natalia. Harry steals a Rolls Royce, mm-hmm. and Woody and Natalia run up the stairs to the roof of the building. Mm. <laughs> that mm, <laughs> was very loaded. Woody and Natalia escape to the roof, but the trap does no way off. What are they going to do? Woody removes his robes to reveal his condom man flying suit. Mark two. We hope so. Natalia grabs hold, and he jumps off the roof. But yes, this time the suit works. He flies over the bay in a beautiful use of cranes and blue screen. I like the fact that when you see him from the long shot, when he's on the crane, he's just gliding. And then we cut to the blue screen, and he's flapping like crazy. <laughs> Didn't they tell him when he was doing the blue screen stuff? No, they probably filmed it. Well, it's different units filmed it, and mm. probably filmed it at different times. It might even be filmed at the same time, mm. so they didn't even know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, they probably couldn't figure a way of making them flap while they were attached to the crane. Yeah, probably. Oh, not attached. I don't know. So, no, whatever it is, it doesn't match. I think we're attached to a crane. Yeah. Harry races to where they're going to land. He gets to the pier and leaves the brake off the car and it goes into the water. I don't really know what the point of that bit is. Yeah, I was just thinking, now, what was the point of that? Is it meant to be funny? Yeah, unless it's because it, it cuts off any other escape method. Possibly, possibly. But then they've got one but, planned anyway, so... Yeah, so they run onto a big boat, get changed, but next to this boat is a smaller yellow Condor speedboat. It's the Condor boat yeah not as catchy as your condom mobile but okay i was going somewhere with it and then i just couldn't find my way <laughs> <laughs> so they speed off the boat is high powered sounds like a jet engine and the Brocknoviach now have black missile laden speed boats and they give chase they've been to acme speedboat speed speedboat Every new podcast now has got a new accent that you're doing. It's crazy. You started a couple episodes ago and now you're just doing them all the time. What would you rather do? Comedy accents or uh, try and tie everything to Knight Rider? So, onto the comedy accents. (laughs) So, we're in the evil black speed. Yeah, they give chase. And we find out that the Condor Submersible has a laser cannon. Submersible. It's not submersible, is it? It floats on top of the water. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I was looking at my notes. I, thinking, I don't remember this going so, on the water. <laughs> Did you see a different cut? Did you see a direction? I washed it upside down. <laughs> ah, right. Okay. That so, was. we found the Condor boat has a laser mm-hmm. cannon. It does. And it, did you notice the sound effects? Not only, well, I noticed the sound effects, but there is something really cool that I noticed that I don't understand why they did it because they failed to pay any of this kind of attention to any other effect. Go on. They actually drew in the reflections of the lasers in the water. I didn't see that. Actually, I see it. It's brilliant. It's the best thing in the film. But that's the kind of detail that you're not expecting at this right, point. Right, because it, it makes like, why, why couldn't you remove the wires if you're going to spend so much time doing that? Yeah. yeah. The only thing I can think of is that to do that is cheaper than removing the wires. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, they do it. And also some of the lasers bounce off water, apparently. Well, that's what lasers do, isn't it? We've already established in Battlestar Galactica that lasers go on forever. They don't go on forever. They explode right. at any point. 
But this chase um, you know. sequence is pretty good. There's lots of really good explosions, and it's very kinetic. It's James Bond again, isn't it? And it's well edited. So it's quite exciting. As a kid, I loved this scene. Yeah, so did I. When the, when the boat comes out of that tent and the music plays, it's like, wow. It's Bond, isn't it? It's yeah. it's, it's a kid's version of Bond. It is. You didn't reply to my uh, question about the, the, did you notice the um, the sound effects for the lasers, what they were? They just sounded like lasers. Are they from something else? They're the exact same sound effect that they use in the black hole. Ah, so it's from the Disney sound mm-hmm. CD. Yep. Oh, record player as it was back then. <laughs> Cassette tape. Eight track. Eight track, yeah. That would be what it is. Guy in the corner okay. going, what? There's Terry Dactyl in the field. What was that? I mean, the laser noises are more like short and fast, aren't they? Well, yeah, I was, I was, it was a, it was an approximation. Like approximation that Glasgow is to London. Exactly. So there's a big chase. Uh, most of the Broknavayach are destroyed, leaving Morovich and Krakow, who give chase. What, why is Krakow on this boat now? Because he wants Natalia. Yeah, all right. It's just he's never shown up before for any... Yes, he has. He's at the mountain, he's at the Alps, when Morovich shoots him. He's there and he picks up Natalia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but but if I was Krakow, I'd be on land. I wouldn't have gone in the boat with Marovic. I think that's what I was that. thinking. I mean, he's the guy pulling the strings. Why would you get get your hands dirty? I would pay extra for a big, powerful binoculars and watched. Yes. Yes. Yes, I agree. And he's nearer the bar that way. Which is always a good thing. For him. For Ollie. Yeah. So the Condor boat heads towards a hovering helicopter, which is their escape plan. Mm-hmm. The helicopter's going to hook on them and take them up into the air. Mm-hmm. Marovic is... Dead set on getting them. Krakow is now having second thoughts and says, let's, you know, stop, let's return. But he won't. So Krakow jumps off the boat. Marovich keeps going. And as the Condor boat is lifted up by the helicopter, rocks are revealed and Marovich crashes into him in a big explosion. What's his game plan? Natalia thinks that he's going to ram them, right? <laughs> but why? He doesn't want to be beaten. He's never been beaten before. He's a top KGB agent. Um, he's the best, he's a deadly killer, and so now he's, like, obsessed by this idiot, this comic book writer who's defeated him at every single turn. He's filled with rage. He didn't think it through, did he? Didn't. Well, he didn't know the rocks were there. And he goes, I mean, he yeah. probably wants to survive ramming Amoeba. Exactly, but. that's what I'm getting. <laughs> he goes, boom. He does. And it's, interesting, the... it's interesting that they didn't kill um, Olvarie's character, almost like they were expecting to use him again. Well, we see that later because after this is finished, mm-hmm. Woody and Natalia are at a baseball game. Harry turns up and he's talking to them. And meanwhile, the CIA want Condor Man for another assignment. Unfortunately, Disney didn't. Not at all. Uh, but apparently no. Disney was so convinced that this was going to be a hit that they'd already gone into pre-production for the sequel, which stopped rather swiftly. <laughs> yes, because this did not make any money. Not at all. I think, I think it, may, it probably made about... Six or seven quid at the time because I, I think both of us went to see it. <laughs> actually, yeah, I saw actually, it. Actually, probably the double that because I mean, I went with my dad. I don't know who you went with. So, yeah, I presume you went with another person. Uh, yes. So no, I went on. I went on my own when I was six. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went with someone. Look at you else. forging your own path. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, they made about twenty-five quid at the time. Hold a thought, you know. Yeah. So, I wonder if it did better in the UK than it did 
in the US. I would have maybe. Yeah, I would have thought so. I would have thought so. But then again, I mean, it was aimed at kids, and and we both established that neither of us gave a shit about Michael Crawford, did we? Right, that's true. We couldn't care less. So we went to see it because it was called Condor Man. It looked actiony. So it was released in August. 1981 and i'm looking up what else was released around that time and it's not actually that great there's nothing i really heavy metal Mm. was released Mm -hmm. and then later in the month american world wolf in london but that was two weeks afterwards but i suppose you've got to look at the other releases in terms of what it would compete with so what other kids movies were out at that time not much so what did you think of condor man okay so obviously this question was going to come up and i've always liked this film or i thought i liked it (laughs) i loved it as a kid and the last time i watched it was probably about two years ago and i don't remember having a problem with it and whether it's because i sat and watched it with a more critical eye this time for the podcast on this viewing it seemed really slapdash everything seemed to be off the cuff everything seemed to be kind of amateurish at times which it managed to offset by the fact that it was shot quite well but it's terribly written the terrible adr really annoyed me the uh, the sound design annoyed me it didn't make any sense at all okay it's got a, it's got a couple of good sequences the car chase is good and the boat chase is good the jokes are not funny they're really not not anymore and i was kind of i mean i was i I actually sat and watched this with um my wife and um, my son my six-year-old boy and it was kind of embarrassing do you remember as a kid when you would watch something and you'd find it embarrassing yeah because it wasn't very good yeah i got that feeling from it and it was a weird feeling because i didn't expect to get that because i i fully expected to sit down and watch again and i would really really like it right and while there are as I say, there are parts of it that I really enjoyed. On the whole, I just thought, it's not very good. <laughs> so my my answer would be, this time I would say no. Oh, interesting. I still enjoy it. I can see your point, and I, it's not a terrific film in the sense that the script is cliched in places, but there's so much enthusiasm for it, especially from the performances. That Do you think? Do you really think that? Yeah, Aside from Oliver Reed, who's giving it everything. Which he always does. Yeah, but do you really think there's that much enthusiasm from everything? I think Michael Crawford's enjoying himself. Yeah, I think so. I I felt, watching it this time, I felt he seemed really uncomfortable, like he didn't really know what he was doing. But then, in a way, that's his character. Is that his character, though? He's a comic book writer, you know, plunged into a world of spies. He's not really supposed to know what he's doing. He's supposed to think that he knows what he's doing. I think as an actor he looked like he was floundering and he was relying on what he knew to get him through it you know with all the years experience of doing frank spencer right so it, it was kind of like i don't really know what to do in this scene so i'm going to do a little bit of frank spencer here and there i don't know i think you're reading too much into it you reckon i mean i, I can't imagine that disney would tell him to do that because they're not thinking of frank spencer when they hire him are they no um, but I don't know. I just, it just. I mean, I know, I know. I can see why you'd like it. And maybe if I watched it again, where I wasn't pay, being critical for the podcast, I'd probably enjoy it right. more. Right. But, but I, 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 I have had times when I've watched it and not enjoyed it as much. My previous time I watched it a couple of years ago, I, I didn't really get enough from it, and I thought it was a lot weaker than I remembered as a kid. But then this time I enjoyed it more again. So maybe it depends on your mood and how you're feeling about it at the time, rather than the film itself. Do you think that's what it was before then? Yeah, maybe. 
I still I think some of the gags are funny, but I think some of them are very stale. Do you do you think that Michael Crawford was slightly miscast? Do you think it would have been interesting to see somebody else do it? Yeah, I can't think of who though from nineteen eighties. Do you have anybody? No, no, but he just seems like an odd choice. An odd choice for Disney, I think. I think for Disney, he's a good choice because he's a Disney he's a Disney actor. In, at that point, he reminds me of um, the guy they usually use uh, from the Love Bug. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember his name. I know the, you mean. They would use mm-hmm. him. I can imagine him playing that role. And I think at that point, this guy yeah. was probably too old, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's got that safe, mm. quirky childlike attitude to things that Disney kind of likes for their films at, at that time yeah. anyway. Well, all I can say is that for me, this time it didn't work. Uh, maybe it would again if I watched it again, but you know, for the purpose of the podcast, it didn't work for me this time uh, and I wouldn't put it on the list. But I can fully understand why you would you would put it on the oh, list. Oh, well, there you go. So Condor Man is both a hit and a miss depending on your point of view. Split decision. So yeah. it helps nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Make your own yeah. mind up. Don't listen to us. We don't know what we're talking about. Well, even though we just spoiled it for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before we go, we should take a look at one email we received, or ever a Facebook comment from somebody called Rachel. Uh, she sounds dodgy to me. And she suggested that we watch either Heather's or Mannequin. So it's Mannequin. But what are we doing next time? We're going to venture into the world of Jean-Claude Van Damme, the man you get when you can't afford Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger. And we're going to take a look at Bloodspot, suggested by one of our listeners. I think it was Dave in Aldershot, wasn't it? I think so, yes. So thank you, Dave. And, mm-hmm. well, I say thank you now. I may change my opinion. <laughs> is that, is this, have you never seen Bloodspot? I, I probably have, but I don't remember it. I mean, I've seen most of those films but Jean-Claude Van Damme is not my favourite actor well, okay. I, and I, I use actor in the loose sense of the term I was just about to say that yes but if you'd like to suggest a film or TV show then you can reach us at retrospection at email.com or you can find us on Twitter at retrospecky and also on Facebook thank you for listening goodbye bye bye